Welcome to another episode of Talking with Apples. Today we have another exciting episode where we'll be talking about Jetpack Compose in production since it's going to be 1.0 in July. And today I have a great guest, Yossi Wolf, who will be talking to us about Jetpack Compose in production. Welcome, Yossi. Hey, hey, how's it going? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think we're just going to start this off with kind of just uh, the simple question of what is Jetpack Compose? Because I mean, I think I think everybody's probably heard about it in the Android community, um, but I think there there might even be a few people that might be new to Android development and they've probably gone into some documentation and they've seen, okay, cool, the view structure. Um, but they've also kind of seen like a little bit of this compose thing. And maybe we can just give a like an intro into what Jetpack Compose is. Oh, for sure. So that's actually not a super easy question to answer because you have to Right, give give a lot of information in, in in short amount of time. Let's try that. So Jetpack Compose, Google is saying is a is a new Android UI framework. Um, it's declarative. It's uh, it's written totally completely in Kotlin, which is super awesome. And essentially, it gives Google a chance to rectify a lot or all, hopefully all. <laughs> that were made with the old Android view framework. So if you've been doing Android before, you'll probably know that there were quite a few, let's say challenges um, in day-to-day -day Android development, especially when you know working on custom UI, writing a custom view. I don't know a lot of people whose favorite task is writing a, a custom view. Um, so yeah, Compose does, a, does another attempt at that and it does a really great job. Um, Compose is completely declarative. Um, so it follows into the steps of Swift UI and, and React and Flutter and all other you know, declarative UI frameworks that are popping out there. Um, and the basic gist is that you have building blocks which are composable functions. So like in Flutter, you might've heard before, everything is a widget. In composable, everything is a composable. So essentially a composable is a function that you annotate with the uh, composable annotation. And that's how you tell the compiler, hey, this is composable. And a composable's function's job is to take state slash to take data um, and to emit UI from there. Yeah, I think, I think that's actually probably a better answer than I was expecting. Like it's pretty, pretty full of oh, like you. content. <laughs> yeah, like it was pretty, pretty rich in content. Like I don't think anybody will not know what composes after that. Um, so that's really, really great. Um, and I think, I think kind of like our premise today of this conversation is kind of like, um, compose is going to be 1.0 soon. And we kind of want to know, is this ready for production? Because I think a lot of people are probably thinking like, oh my goodness, I have this, either this old application that I'm building with the traditional views, um, or, and then or some people might think, hey, we actually have a new project coming up um, and maybe we can actually build this with Jetpack Compose. But like, do you think that it's actually ready for production? 
that depends on what production means for you. Um, it's it's kind of tough to give a blanket answer to that because everybody will have very different requirements for you know for for production. I know a lot of companies have rules in place uh, that go, "Hey, um, you can only use stable versions. You you can't use betas or alphas or or even RCs. You have to use stable versions." Um, or maybe you have some requirements for for certain components or a certain functionality, and then you have to make sure that um, that whatever you're using does cover that. Um, we we had this client which is super you know technologically forward and open, and they asked us about like, hey, do you think uh, Compose will at some point this year be in a state where you can actually ship an app with it? Um, and it shouldn't be any different. It shouldn't feel any different to apps that we would build with the old view system slash framework. Um, and the performance should be good. We shouldn't have any runtime crashes, obviously. Um, and we should be, you know, our, we should be really quick in, in development time. Um, is that something that, you know, that Compose can give us? And so I think a, a very good kind of way to repose that question is like, can you actually ship an app with, uh, with Compose? Um, and for us, the, the answer was yes, totally. Um, we had a, we had an app or we we're working on a project that does have quite, quite the few custom UI elements and, um, we needed to iterate quickly. We need to build lots of lots of things in a, in a very short amount of time. And we didn't want to start a new project with the old view framework when we were just a couple of months away from getting Compose stable. Um, so these were kind of our requirements and we explored Compose for a bit and we were like, yep, this is going to be it. Um, for us, it's definitely enough to, uh, to ship to production. It works performance. Um, we're not seeing anything, you know, unusual, um, and all the features that we needed are there. So for most cases, I think compose is totally enough, um, to go into production, even if it's in, in beta now we've been using it since I think alpha five or alpha six, um, and it's been great. Um, if you're building something more complex, it might be a little harder and you you should definitely, you know, evaluate does Compose's feature set actually offer exactly what we need um, so that you're not left standing in the rain when you're trying to ship something and then there's a missing component or, or some missing functionality. But for, for most things, yep, yeah, you can you can use Compose. Everything is stable, it's great. Okay, yeah, I think that's awesome because I think I've I've seen a few people on Twitter um, kind of even mention that they kind of took kind of the same approach where they were looking into the future and they were like, hey, our app, we're probably only going to ship like the first version probably around June, July this year or something like that. Um, and we do not want to build something with the old view framework. We want to kind of be technologically advanced. Um, I think that's a, obviously a great way to also attract talent to your company um, by using, oh, sure by using everything that's new, um, which is great. So I think like, 
a lot of people kind of were, were forward thinking and they were kind of like, hey, I'm going to pretty much create this application with Compose and kind of like also just look at how this, uh, how the API is kind of developed as it went along. Because I think that probably also gives you a better understanding of the framework itself, the Compose framework, um, Compose UI itself, um, which is really, really great. Um, but kind of, I think going into that also, um, you kind of mentioned a few things in terms of like components that could be missing or complex, um, complex views that you might want to be creating. Um, kind of like since you've been using it since alpha, like what limitations have you found within Jetpack Compose that would probably just kind of give you <laughs> a little bit of nightmares at night or slash, um, like just kind of look at a certain part of it and be like, okay, cool. I'm going to kind of just go towards the traditional um, view for the specific view um, and then kind of use Compose um, somewhere else. Oh, yeah. we. So there are a couple of things. Um, let's start off with something that we actually encountered recently. So we are uh, we're in this project we're using Room um, and... We really, really, really wanted to uh, we wanted to try KSP. So if you haven't heard of KSP before, KSP stands for Kotlin Symbol Processing, and it's essentially uh, another evolution of of KAPT, so the Kotlin Annotation Processor, um, which itself you know could be could be quite hacky, and you'll know that as something that slows down your build and that you really want to try to avoid as much as possible. So Room uses annotation processing um, to generate some implementation things. And they now have uh, a, they now have support for Kotlin symbol processing that support is in alpha. And we really, really wanted to try that out. Um, but obviously since, um, since KSP is something that's so close to the compiler, it's tied to the Kotlin compiler version. So they brought a lot of new fixes and you know worked on the API. And that was these updates were were available for or compatible with Kotlin 1.5 plus or Kotlin 1.5.10. Um, and we were using Compose and we were stuck on Kotlin 1.432 because Compose was compiled with that and we couldn't upgrade to Kotlin 1.5 for I think it was like uh, three or four weeks that we that we were stuck with it and the, that we kind of like really really wanted to move on and we couldn't um that was really annoying since we're not using since KSP and the room support is still in alpha that wasn't a release blocker or anything um so it's fine but um, this is something I, I definitely look out for. Um, it's going to be like that for the foreseeable future because Compose uses the new um, intermediate representation, the new compiler backend of the Kotlin compiler that was made the default option with Kotlin 1.5 only. So it's you know all really really new, and for for the time being, Compose will definitely be tied to. Uh, the Kotlin compiler version, and and you'll you'll have a hard time um, sometimes up upgrading. You might be stuck behind for 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 a couple of versions. Um, apart from that, what have we been missing? Well, luckily we don't have anything map view stuff, 
um, which is great. I hate working with maps, but I have heard that you can that you have to wrap um, a Google Map view with interoperability, and and you can't. There's no um, direct Jetpack Compose support for it just yet. Um, so that's something you might want to look out for. Something that we noticed in uh, in our efforts was the the lazy row slash lazy column APIs. Um, so if you're not familiar with Compose yet, um, lazy column slash lazy row are essentially the equivalent of of a recycle view. So these are you know rows or columns that get laid out, which items get out late get laid out lazily. Um, and you know that's still all kind of in progress, and you can see that there there are bugs around that, um, or sometimes you know items will get composed too early or or, or too late or not at all, um, and sometimes performance will not be super awesome yet. It's something we're working on, but that's something that we saw and something definitely to look out for where compose was kind of giving us a hard time. Okay. Yeah, I think I think it's almost like the the whole Java version situation <laughs> where people were like, "Oh, we're tied to Java oh, sure. one point six and one point eight, and then like, yeah, and then people are like, "Oh, but there's Java six sixteen or whatever it is." Um, but I mean, I think I think I think it's probably a lot better with the Kotlin compiler. Um, I think because I think Google and um, JetBrains are probably working very closely with each other in order to kind of get this. Oh, yeah working so i think i think yeah you're probably going to be like a few versions behind on a few things but i guess that's also the um i guess the crux of working with bleeding edge technology right like as it comes out it like is. you're kind of going to you're kind of going to be be stuck at that point where you're going to have to do some waiting um to kind of get what you want out of certain things um which is cool and yeah i've also i've also read um, a few things around map views. Map views is like the, the biggest one. Everybody's like, yo, I just want a map view and I have to use interop. Um, we have to use like oh, yeah. the Android view to like wrap this, um, situation to get my fragment in and all of those type of things. Um, but yeah, maybe we can even just chat around a little bit around, um, the interoperability. Like, do you feel like that is seamless? Have you found anything crazy? when trying to do interop between um, Compose and the, the traditional view system. And even just like, I mean, Google is kind of punting that like, you can pretty much drop Compose into your existing apps now um, and pretty much use it. So there, that interoperability becomes very important for many people to, to actually want to use um, Compose going forward versus like, oh, I can only use it when I start a new app. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, Compose interoperability is something that I actually really, really like. Um, hands down, I did not accept, uh, expect uh, it to be that great. I did not expect them to do so amazing at it and provide such a nice API, but um, it's really, really seamless. Uh, so what you have to do for interoperability is there is a composable that's called Android View. And um, it has a parameter, which is a factory function uh, that creates an instance of, of that Android view. Um, and then you have a parameter that is an update function, um, 
that you can, you know, in which you can access that views instance and, and you can update things, you can set parameters, you can call methods on that view. Um, and it, that, that works really, really seamless because you can just go and wrap that in its own composable and then it will be invisible to the outside that that even is an Android view. Um, which is super, super cool. So it's really just an implementation detail of that composable. If later on you will want to, you know, completely move to compose or, or, you know, migrate that widget to compose, you can just replace the stuff with composables in there and it's fine. It'll work. Um, there have been some, I know earlier on, there have been some crashes, uh, with the things related to, um, related to lifecycle tree owners. Um, I know there have been some, some kind of weird, crazy bugs in there. Um, that's with the uh, activity compose artifact, which brings compose support for activities so that activities can host Jetpack Compose, um, that, that they can host composables. Um, but apart from that, really, it, that seems super stable. It seems to be really, really awesome. I know once I tried using Lottie and um, I tried using Lottie Compose, but it, it had a bug and I, I couldn't get it to work. So what I did it was I just wrapped Lottie View in 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 the Android View Composable and created like a like an interop bridge with it, and it worked just fine. Performance was great, which is like right that's super nice. Like when you see that actually this um <laughs> this this animation thing works flawlessly. That's super awesome. Um, so yeah, I've been really, really happy with that. And it seems to work well. You can migrate bit by bit. Um, and you can literally just go and drop Compose in. So it's awesome. Okay, yeah, I think, I think yeah, that's really, really cool because I think that's probably what a lot of people want to hear. They want to make sure that like, with them actually going into Compose, that they will be able to pretty much be able to drop it in, um, even use use specific components, let's say reusable components that they've already created um, within yes. their um, within their team, and they can wrap it in composables, and they can pretty much put it in new composable views um, that they are creating. Um, so I think that's that's like literally a plus for everybody um, um, looking at looking at doing composer. Um, jetpack compose but i think um i think you, you touched on something that's that's really important i think it was in your previous point and now again um which is performance and obviously you you mentioned like um the animations of Lottie were pretty performant um looking at that but i mean i know a lot of people want to know like is it as performant is jetpack compose as performant as the android traditional view system um will the animations um um also just kind of like work seamlessly um like well, well what is the is there any kind of like jank or anything like when views kind of like um load and um yeah like well, what is performance like because i think that's people's biggest fear like creating using this oh, whole yeah. new oh, yeah, yeah using this whole new view system and all of a sudden like their, their users start complaining because like these views are just kind of like not working on, I don't know, Android 21 or some people maybe still be using API 16. Like, I mean, I don't think Compose is like minimum 21 now. Um, you have to yes. use 21 and, and, and up, but like, I think like, let's just say at 21, like 
is it as performant as it is going to be on like 30, um, API 30? So we, we have the luck of not supporting that many older APIs, which is, which is really nice. Um, <laughs> and I want to preface all everything that I say about performance. I want to, I want to say that's purely anecdotal. Um, I don't have any hard numbers to back up my experiences. Um, and I think it also completely depends on your app and what that app does and how it works. Um, that being said, so we had a, we had a project which we were shipping to production and we, we dropped compose in there. Um, we replaced, uh, some fragments with some, with some lists, um, with composes, lazy columns and, uh, we didn't see any any issues there, so that that was um, that was totally fine. Um, other than that, so I can't speak to to lower API levels. I can speak to my like normal performance testing approach, which is try running it in the emulator. If it's like really smooth in the emulator, it'll probably be fine in the real world. Um, <laughs> other than that, no, we haven't we haven't seen anything bad really. Um, it seems to be that performance is still a little worse. Um, you might lose out on, on a couple of things. Um, if you're doing something that's like very, very, uh, very resource heavy, you might want to look into how it works with Compose. Um, but generally, it's good to keep in mind that the Android V framework has been around for a long time, and then Compose is just so young and a lot of the time up until now was really spent on evolving APIs, developing APIs, evolving APIs, and fixing bugs. And only now is the Compose team actually getting to look at a lot of performance things um, with you know taking a closer look there. Um, so it is to be expected that performance is not as great in in some areas, um, right? Lazy rows, lazy columns. Um, being, being some of these parts. Um, but apart from that, things seem to be fine. Um, I've seen some reports from people on Twitter who are like, hey, there's, you know, there's a little bit more jank on, on this like Samsung Galaxy J1 or whatever running, uh, running API 21. Um, and that might happen. So it's, uh, it's very situational. You got to check for us in our apps. We haven't seen anything bad, which is really nice. Maybe we're just lucky. Maybe we're being spared. Um, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I think that comes down to again, like probably um, maybe just testing on a few devices. Um, I don't know, using some device farm, like using a device farm and like just throwing your app and seeing what the what the numbers kind of come back as um, as you kind of like build your your app. Um, but I think I think I think that's actually great because um, I think it was kind of like the same almost with SwiftUI. I know SwiftUI is very similar to Compose. Well, it's pretty much the same for for iOS developers, um, and they. Um, a lot of people didn't want to use the first version um, just because of firstly like missing components, but also they were like performance things. And as it got better, um, they kind of like people started kind of adopting it a lot more. Um, do you think that that might be um, also a good approach to maybe kind of like wait it out a little bit? Um, I mean, I think everything that we've even spoken about already sounds like 
you know, compose is ready. And I definitely agree. Like, I think compose is at a really good point now, especially just before 1.0. Um, with me playing around with it, it, it literally feels like really amazing to develop Android views um, in this manner. Um, but I mean, yeah, do you, do you think like even just waiting a little bit, maybe for a, I don't know, a 1.1 or 1.2, sometimes people just kind of wait, like, you know, a minor version update before they kind of like jump straight in, because I mean, now it will be used by a lot more, um, developers out there. Um, and then maybe they'll get a lot more feedback and, um, they can fix a few of the things that, um, might be coming from the greater community, um, than the people that are were brave enough to pretty much jump into it early. Oh yeah. I I really think the answer is still it depends. Um <laughs> if you're if you're doing something that's very performance critical, uh you you might want to hold off, you know, you you might want to wait for for one one dot one. Um I think what's also worth noting is so Compose has been in beta for a while. And in Google's definition, um, I know they loosened it up a little bit recently, but generally beta means our APIs are stable, we're we're fixing bugs and stuff, but we're not we're not changing the API surface. Um and that also means that you don't really get new APIs added because the focus is just on fixing bugs and making sure the thing gets to the stable version. Um, that also means that for, you know, certain things that, you know, that were built and then, you know, it shipped to beta, but the team then kind of discovered, well, actually for real world use cases, we'd have to kind of adjust the, the API a bit, or we'd, we'd have to do another iteration on that. Um, as is the case with, uh, with a lot of APIs that are related to, to bottom sheet components, um, so all of these kind of things are what you're seeing. They they won't get reiterated before 1.0 because the surface API surface is now stable and you can't change that anymore. So they get pushed out until 1.1 or possibly 1.2. Um, and so there will there will definitely be things that that don't make it into 1.0 that will be there with 1.1. Um, but again, that's very situational, right? You might have components, maybe you're using a lot of components that are affected by special cases like that. Maybe you're not using them at all. In our current app, we're not using these things at all. So we're not affected by it. Um, generally, I think um, Compose really benefited a lot from, from all the other ecosystems out there. Flutter has been around for for quite a while, right? And and then Swift UI, it, it has been around for for quite a while. And Compose was started after Swift UI, and you know Swift UI was released before Compose. So there's already a lot of mistakes to to be learned from there that the Compose and lessons that the Compose team kind of took. Um, there's also React. Um, which uh, which Compose was heavily inspired by, um, so we've already taken a lot of lessons um, and mistakes, and you know at least try to avoid them. Um, so I think the situation is a little different to Swift UI because Swift UI is like this totally different thing, and it was this real break in in iOS development, right? Where where you had a minimum version that was like really really new. Um, you know, compared to API 21. Um, and with Compose, you, you 
there seem to be a lot more established best practices already compared to what you had with other UI frameworks. Um, so I think if you're, you know, if you're brave, try it. Um, but, but really, um, it, for most cases, you will not have an issue with 1.0. Um, I think it's, it's a real small minority of people who will have to wait until 1.1 for certain fixes to get in. Okay, yeah, I think I think that's really cool because I think you you kind of just need to maybe just go into what Compose has and and look at it like, hey, does this kind of like fit my um, my requirements? Um, and then if it does, then you know, great, like it's good to use. Versus like, oh, maybe it doesn't, but maybe I can just do a little bit of work on my side. Um, to to do a few things to kind of make it work and then cool. But if it doesn't fit your your kind of like your requirements at all, then it's like oh cool, maybe just kind of wait it out until um, you get a, lo a little bit more from um, from the library itself um, from the UI framework. Um, and I think there's quite a few things that kind of like we we kind of just been talking about the UI components and all of those type of things, but I think a few a few things that when you're building an Android application that's kind of like vital is things like navigation and things like we, we think of like constraint layout and motion layout. Um, maybe we can just jump into navigation for um, as a start. Like navigation is different, right? Um, we've always had like a bunch of different, yeah, we've had a bunch of different ways of doing navigation in Android. Like, maybe too many ways um and now we <laughs> and now we now we kind of have with compose we have the compose way of doing navigation um maybe we can dive into to um how that kind of works firstly with just compose to compose um views and then how would you navigate from a traditional android view or even a, um, the whole um, navigation component. Maybe you have a navigation component and you want to kind of like navigate to a composable um, and technically you'd need a fragment. Like uh, like, like what's happening there? Like how, how does that navigation um, navigate to each other? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? We're, we're like a couple of days too early. I have a blog post about uh, how the whole navigation thing works that's currently in review. Um, so hopefully it'll, it'll be out by the time that you're listening to this, um, go, go and try to look and look that up. If you're really interested in, in more details and, in how navigation works. So in Jetpack Compose, um, you know, so navigation, there's a, there's a new library, which is called, uh, navigation compose. It's a, so it's a new artifact of the navigation library. Um, and essentially how navigation works in Compose is first you go and you declare a you declare a nav host. Um, nav host is a composable, and essentially what that nav host does is you pass you pass a navigation graph to it that you build through uh, the navigation Kotlin DSL, which is essentially the equivalent to you know building a nav graph using XML before. Um, but it's Kotlin because that's when you can do it. It's 2021. What are you going to do? Right? <laughs> um, so you pass that nav host, uh, a nav controller, and the nav graph. Um, and then what that nav host does is it it exactly it 
essentially looks at the looks at the back stack um, and looks at the looks at the composable destinations on the back stack and then it displays the latest one. Um, really, navigation itself does most of the work. Navigation compose doesn't do doesn't do a ton of work. Um, all of the you know all of the back stack handling and everything is still the same because that is uh, common navigation code that isn't you know bound to any fragment things or bound to any compose things or anything. So it's real nice. Um, and yeah, so that's uh, that's really how how compose navigation navigation compose works. Um, that's the fairly basic answer. Um, in your in your declaring the let's talk about declaring the navigation graph maybe. Um, so what you do is there's a there's a function which is called composable. Um, you pass that composable function a route that you can you can navigate to after, um, and inside that composable function you'll host whatever uh, composables live at that destination. Um, you can have nested navigation graphs like you're used to from uh, from XML navigation graphs, uh, and really things are just pretty much the same. Um, since you're constructing a, since you're actually constructing a a navigation graph that's not specific to compose, um, you can really you can register any type of destination. You can register fragment destinations, and you can register composable destinations side by side. Um, the compose the composed NAF host will only look at composable destinations, and then if you have any fragment destinations in there. That'll be handled by the appropriate uh, fragment navigator or whatever other navigators you might have set up. Um, so you can you can interrupt there, um, and things work fine. Um, we uh, we actually just you know dropped all of the XML stuff, um, and we dropped all of our fragment stuff as far as possible, uh, and and are only using composable destinations. Um, so I can't tell you about you know actual inter interop um, in in production, but I know it's there. Um, there are ways to to do that, which is nice. Um, and yeah, that's uh, that's how navigation works. It's a real brief answer. Okay, yeah, I think I think that's great because I think navigation would probably be these people would like build a bunch of views and they're like, okay, but like, how do I actually get to that specific view? Or how do I get to this composable sure. function without like having my activity or how do I, where's my like fragment uh, manager? Like where, how do I, how do I put stuff on, onto the, the view itself? So I think that's actually really, really great that, um, the nav host pretty much handles all of that for you and it's kind of part of like the existing navigation component um underneath um so that's really cool and i think then the kind of next situation is pretty much maybe like some of the architecture components um with view model you spoke a little bit about room earlier um, um live data everyone's favorite subject <laughs> um oh my God. <laughs> um yeah so pretty much like uh how how do these architecture components work because i've heard that um they're kind of pretty seamless they work pretty seamless with compose um but yeah um i'd love to pretty much hear your experience with working with them um yeah yeah totally 
Uh, let's start off with live data. Let's talk about live data. Um, so in, in, in the old app that, that we were working on that, that we dropped Compose in to, um, we were using live data. We are using live data um, and we're using view models. We're exposing the view model state um, through live data. Um, and so Compose has these uh, really nice extension functions on on both live data and flows actually, which is um, there's this function which is called collect a state. Uh, so essentially what it does is it takes that stream, be it live data or, or a flow or you know state flow or shared flow, and it converts that to a Jetpack Compose state. I know we haven't talked about state so far, um, but maybe we'll get to that later on. Um, just know that that's what you know drives a lot of things in Compose. Um, so that, that function takes that stream, converts it to a Jetpack Compose state. So then you are really using native, I'm not gonna say native, but you know, real native Compose agnostic APIs, which is really, really awesome. Um, that integration works seamlessly. It's super, super awesome. Um, and then in our latest project, we actually went and switched over to uh, Stateflow instead of live data, just to try something new. Um, and it, it it works great. Um, right has the same integration and API surface where we just go um, viewmodel.state.collectestate and that's it. That's how we are, are getting our state and it, it's great. Um, so yeah, you can keep using live today. You can move over to stateflow slash shared flow if you want to be a cool kid slash kid that burns their fingers while testing all of that stuff. Um, yeah, so that that works. Okay, cool. What, uh, what other component should we talk about next? Um, yeah, I think I think pretty much I think this life cycle maybe like I'm guessing we don't need life cycle, oh, yeah. um, or do we? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting question, right? Um, so a, a composable in itself doesn't it doesn't have a life cycle. Light does have a life cycle, of course, but. Uh, the lifecycle of a composable um, is not is not totally uh, is not totally bound to to the hosting component. So the when I say the hosting component, that's the that's a fragment or the activity in in which your compose code can originate originates originates. Right, that's what hosts your your composables. It's the entry point. Um, so. First off, whenever, whenever that fragment or activity gets started, um, and and the view gets created, um, your your composables will enter enter the the composition tree. Um, and whenever that fragment or activity are, are paused um, slash destroyed, your uh, your composables will will basically let's say destroyed for now as well. Um, and of course, composables have their have their own life cycle. Um, so there's, I think, there's a kind of like fundamental difference to to views. Let's compare it to that. Um, let's say you have a view which you want to show when a button is clicked, and when that button is clicked again, you want to hide it. So in the legacy view framework, you go and you say visibility is hidden or visibility is visible. Um, whereas with Compose, you 
you would rather go and you would just remove that composable from the tree, right? You go if button.clicked, you go, uh, you, you emit that composable, you, you call that composable. And if that button isn't clicked, you don't even call the composable, it's not even in the tree. Um, so that also means that your composables have a, a very different life cycle to, to what you're kind of used to before, especially with views. Um, yeah, so composables life cycles are, are a lot shorter and obviously a lot simpler because either they're active or, or they're not there. Um, so that's, uh, that's really nice. Your composable code will only get called when your composable is actually active which is great. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that about lifecycle. So you're not really bound to any of the any of the old lifecycle APIs, which is which is great. There are some requirements underneath, I think, but you don't have to care about that. You don't have to interact with any lifecycle APIs. You don't have to have any like um, <laughs> on on create or on resume, which is awesome. Um, there is no such concept as a composable getting paused. It'll just get recomposed. Um, yeah, that's real nice. So yeah, I think state is quite an important thing. Um, and I think a lot of people are probably going to get thrown off by state a little bit um, when they're kind of jumping straight into compose because they're going to realize that it's not kind of like that imperative way of just kind of giving instructions of exactly what to do they're going to see that it's more of a reactive type um, situation that they're going to kind of have to deal with. And it's maybe something that they're kind of going to have to like learn. Um, what was your experience kind of just jumping straight into having this new kind of like state and reactive um, model um, with Compose? Man, I, 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 had the, I had the worst time. I, I had such a hard time. Uh, looking back at that, I don't know. I don't exactly know why I was struggling with it so much, but just like adapting to to that new mindset was was so tough. So we mentioned really briefly at the beginning that so compose is declarative, right? And and the old style, the view framework style, um, as you as you were saying, is it's what we we call it imperative. Um, so imperative, or you know, you really tell the computer hey, here's what you should do. Whereas declarative, you really declare how things should look like and then you let the computer slash framework um, figure out how to do the rest. Um, and I was having such, such, such a hard time with that. I, I was really, really struggling to to grasp all of the concepts. It, it legit took me, I want to say three, four, five weeks probably un, until I wasn't, completely phased by the whole thing anymore um you know what they say you know three weeks of experimenting and struggling can save you an hour of reading the docs and and, and two hours of doing code labs but um so I, I i did a lot of you know like playing around with it and so i was having a hard time with that um then then for others from others i've seen that they were completely fine learning about um the declarativeness of compose and how state works and how recomposition works, which we'll get to in a bit. Um, all of that is to say, if you're, if you're struggling with compose and, and declarative things, you're not alone. Um, I struggled so hard with it. If you're not struggling with it, great. 
maybe you'll struggle, maybe you won't. Um, probably you won't. Um, but yeah. So I, I was having a hard time thinking about that. Um, and and for that, you know, it probably. I know you you're doing Swift UI, right? So did you like have the same same kind of like break and 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 issues when you were switching to a declarative thing? Um, yeah, I think I think for my side it was um, what kind of got me was when I actually did RX. So I've done RX Java and I've done RX Swift, and those concepts were like kind of where I got into a point where I kind of like struggled to get it. Like it needed, I needed like a long time to get that light bulb moment. I'm like, oh, yeah. that's how it works. And I think that's actually what made it a lot easier for me coming into um, doing Compose and doing SwiftUI um, because it kind of just was like the same almost as um, using oh, yeah. RX. Um, so I think I think that made it a lot easier for me. But definitely, um, it's still it's still a mindset change because you're comp you're still using different components. Um, you're using um, different interfaces and protocols um, on the iOS side, and then you have these new property wrappers that you kind of need to add in order to kind of like oh, yeah. bind things together. Um, you have binding, and you have like and you have state also. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's kind of like you, if you kind of been in that reactive realm a little bit, um, I think it just makes it a little bit easier, but I definitely remember struggling with like RX in the beginning. As soon as I saw it, I was like, I don't understand what's happening. Oh, um, yeah. it was just all over the place. So yeah, I think, I think definitely, um, working with maybe prior to, to, um, this, Working with reactive frameworks might give you a little bit advantage, um, but it is a different, a completely different mindset, definitely. Yeah. No, I, I totally feel that because I, I also struggled initially when I was doing RX back in the day. Um, though I'll say that I had a lot less issues with with RX. It was it was easier for me to to understand that than than compose, but. Um, yeah, there there are a lot of similarities there, really, and in, in, in terms of patterns. And yeah, you know, your your reactive and declarative kind of I want to say functional, although that doesn't totally apply to compose. But um, yeah, like these mindsets that all share share kind of common patterns. So now we you know we we've we've talked a lot about you know our, our struggles with with that but let's let's actually look at state right and 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 recomposition and and what that is in compose so on a very very technical level um in compose there is a there's an interface which is called state uh it, it has a generic parameter which is t um and that state interface you know so, so whatever implements that state interface holds a value of the type t um and Compose has the ability to track um, wherever that state's value gets read. And whenever that state's value updates, um, when it changes, uh, it can recompose um, the, the relevant parts. So if you think of a composable as a function, right? Because still it's, a, it's just a function annotated without composable, that can just get called again, right? And if you, in your 
So if you have a function that accepts a parameter, which is uh, which is called name, that's a string, um, the name of the person, and you just want to output that name with a text composable. Um, so if you're a composable function with that name parameter, and there you have a, you write text and you pass it the name. Um, and then somewhere, somewhere outside your, you know, where you're calling that composable, you have a state. And when you update that state, when you change that state's value, maybe that person wanna, wants to change their name, um, then compose will, will go and look at where is that state's value used. It'll see it's used in that composable. Um, so it'll just, it'll recompose. It'll essentially call that again, which um, means that your text composable will get, will get called with the updated value and it'll result in you seeing the new thing. Um, so that's kind of like the basic, really basic gist of, of state in, in compose. Um, and I think it's the same for, for SwiftUI, really. Um, and it's a really, really powerful concept because you uh, all of a sudden have to like look at where is my state actually being used? When am I recomposing? Uh, where does my state live, actually? Um, that's another, that's a whole nother topic. Um, and and all of these, all of these things is that, you know, how do you, how do you feel about that with, with state um, and, and recomposition and compose? Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's pretty much how I kind of see it. Like, yeah, I think state is kind of like fundamental to pretty much doing recomposition. Um, but like you kind of, it's, it's very tricky because you also need to make sure that you kind of like have all this like remember functions that you kind of have to like attach to things um, so that you know that like when, I don't know, when the screen changes that it kind of like, or I think it's configuration change, like, um, you know, stuff gets saved or if you're kind of doing something completely different um, that you're saving state for um, a specific value, let's say. Um, and I think that kind of like, like looks at different kind of like architectures. I think a lot of people really like like MVI for Compose. Um, like MVVM seems like the, the kind of like pattern that most people would probably go with. But like, you know, they kind of want to, people are experimenting with a bunch of patterns, um, design patterns, one of design patterns, architectural patterns for, um, for Compose. And I think that's where state will probably be, um, will be the main focus of why they use a specific architecture um, over a different one. Um, and yeah, I guess that's where like, you know, obviously the the great thing about like um, view model with architecture components is that it almost, it just supports it already, right? You don't have to kind of like do your own magic to kind of make it work. And if you're kind of like creating your own view models without like, architecture components because some people might be doing that um it might be a little bit harder for you to pretty much like you know just adapt that specific um that specific like um declarative and state into your your i guess your view models or your logic um wherever you kind of like doing your logic and stuff like that um so yeah i think it's a little bit different um in that aspect Though I'll definitely say, um, in in the end, 
you know that your architecture is probably good when you we can when you can just swap out components right when you can just swap out layers um if you've done a good job before architecting your your app and and you know kind of like keeping your layers at least somewhat separated um regardless of whether you are a viper slash redux or mvi or mvvm or mvc or mvp um fan uh i i don't care um but in the end, right, the, the point of that is just to to create layers and, and to make sure that you could just go in and you could swap out your your fragment or activity or custom view for a composable or for something else entirely, right? Where you can just um, go, you listen for, for the view models or controllers or whatever state. Um, and... So that's a that's a very nice thing, right? You're you're not really bound to compose doesn't bind you to any architecture, though you know all of these having following all of these kind of reactive paradigms um, and and declarative paradigms, it it feels like it always pushes you a little towards a MVI kind of thing, but not in a not in a bad or, or pushy way, but it's just somewhere that you pretty much naturally end up. Um, but yeah, I think that's a very, very nice thing. Like you're, you're not bound to any, any specific architecture. You've touched on some two, two very important topics though that we didn't talk about yet, or well, one important topic, um, remember slash remember saveable, um, and memoization. We, we didn't, didn't look at that yet. Um, so you want to mention, do you want to mention something about memoization or should I go ahead? Yeah, yeah, go go straight ahead because I think I think those are important. Um, I think there's just so much in Compose um, that oh, pretty is. much like that you you kind of I can't even remember all these method names. Like I still kind of go to the documentation and be like, which remember do I use? Which mutable state thing do I use um, for this specific thing that I'm trying to do? Um, so there's just so many there's so many new APIs um, and that we haven't touched on and probably probably have a conversation for like hours about all these apis um oh yeah but yeah i definitely oh, think yeah. that the remember the remember state and remember savable and all of those type of stuff is quite important so yeah definitely jump into it so let's talk about memorization um so maybe if you've seen compose before maybe maybe you've you're already a compose veteran right and you you've done compose for since the first developer preview came out or whatever um or maybe you've just watched the news Google I.O. talk about what's new in Compose. Um, chances are that you've seen flow that you've seen a function called remember float around somewhere. Um, so remember is a function that essentially um, tells Compose to cache a certain value. That's um, that's a very kind of like basic explanation, I think. Um, so going back to recomposition, when you recompose it is literally just you can think of it as your as your function being called again so say we take our function again in which we um which we pass the name to and which emits that name with the text composable say in there we we create a new we create a new value say we generate a random number every time that function gets called um 
and we only we really only want to generate that value once we want it to always stay the same even if that name's value changes even if the function gets recomposed um if we can we can wrap that generator code so you know that'll just be random.next and i guess um we can wrap that in a remember call um and that makes sure that that uh that that random.next in thing um will get called exactly once um when when the composable enters the composition um and it'll not get called again until that um until that composable has left the composition and and will re-enter it um so so essentially remember is like a fancy term for for caching um a very very kind of low level kind of thing um and i lost the plot there didn't i yeah <laughs> um so if you if you want to if you want to cache a value if you want to make sure that it doesn't doesn't get kind of recalculated every time that composable is called remember is your friend and you can then also configure remember to uh you know to to recalculate that value whenever a, a certain input changes or something um that's something that you'll see in a lot of places and that you'll see when you're actually writing that code even though that might sound a little weird now um and talking about remember saveable because i know we we were talking about uh life cycle things earlier and i totally forgot to mention this so remember saveable is essentially something is is a, a variant of remember let's say um that uh that saves that value across uh for example configuration changes so um, if your composable lives in a fragment or or an activity for 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 that matter, um, and you have a remember call somewhere in there, maybe you generate a random number again. Um, so you want that to be generated once. When you have a configuration change, when you rotate your screen, um, that'll get re-evaluated. Um, and in certain cases, you might want to save that value across configuration changes, right? Like you you would previously do with uh, uh, writing writing state to a bundle. Um, and remember, savable is basically a super nice helper to do that very easily. So instead of remember, you literally just go remember savable, um, and that's it. That'll help you, uh, yeah, store stuff across configuration changes and things, which is very very nice. Yeah, I think I think that's really really cool because I think that will be important to people when they when they start using composables and they're like, yeah. oh well, this thing is not kind of like working um, anymore. It's not actually like saving what I wanted, and I don't understand what's actually going on here. So I think I think that's really really great to mention because it's gonna be it's kind of one of those fundamental um, kind of like functions that you're gonna be using, um, and yeah. I think. I think even when we were talking about navigation, um, I think there's even a remember function for navigation. I can't remember, but like, um, so you you pretty much you pretty much will definitely um, try to remember the remember functions, um, which 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 will help you out. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of want to just go um, 
back to um we had a bit of a deep dive earlier into navigation all of that but i mean i did mention also constraint and motion layout and i think those are the those are the two things that um i kind of wanted to chat about um because constraint constraint layout was like one of those things that kind of like you know almost revived um a little bit of like the android um view system slash kind of made a little bit better um that's true and like and like now like kind of we have kind of constraints in compose um it might not people might not see it like as maybe like where would i use that um because we have all these cool components that kind of just like make everything work but like yeah um what is your what is your experience kind of like using um constraints and then also just motion level animations like um i heard a lot of people just loving animations on in compose because it's so easy to pretty much do um but then we also had this cool like motion layout and this motion layout um thing where you could play it in android studio and everything like uh, now you're just like oh like this kind of like sucks <laughs> that i this is kind of like a new view system and then like yeah like like what's happening in that um, side of the world yeah, these are these are great questions because I was I was really such a great fan of of constraint layout, right? Like I I yeah, basically I don't want to say every layout, but a lot of the layouts that I did were constraint layout, right? Because it's just like it's fun, it's it's nice to uh to have everything constrained. It's nice to have a have a flat hierarchy, right? Because obviously if you're if you're coming from the view framework, you'll remember well nesting not good um and yeah so true about the um about that it kind of revived and revitalized things um there is a there's a version of constraint layout for for compose um so uh, i know that the compose team worked quite a bit to you know abstract the actual core slash engine of constraint layout um because in the end it's all math essentially um, and that works regardless of whether you are, you know, in a view framework or possibly on web or or in Compose. Um, so they parted over slash created a created an API for a constraint layout um, in Compose, and there is a constraint layout composable. And um, the way it works is that you uh, there is a create refs function in um in the uh, constraint layout scope i think that's what it's called, that's what it's called. um and it, so create ref uh essentially creates a reference um which you can then assign to something and uh, you can constrain um something so that is uh that's kind of like the equivalent to how we're using constraint layout before where you were like you know constraint call constraint constrain to um and things um yeah, I'll have to say I'm not really a super great fan of the API surface, and I haven't found a use case for constraint layout so far in in in, in the code that we've been writing, um, and the UI that we've been creating. We've been off totally fine just uh, using standard composables um, like row and column, and then using wait to do things. Um, that seems to work out great. Um, so constraint layout for compose exists, but I think it it doesn't really have nearly the same 
role that it that it did previously. Uh, Compose doesn't really care that much about you know how how deep you nest your composables because um, Compose is kind of like really smart about you know which parts it can skip when it has to recompose. Um, and in the end, right, it it's a tree. Um, that's a lot. It, that's a lot easier and and more optimized. Um, than it was with the Android V framework. So you don't really run into the same issue of having to keep your hierarchy as flat as possible, which is awesome. Um, also, since you're, you know, since Compose is Kotlin, I don't know if, if you've seen that, but there's a composable, which is called Box, um, which is like a really just, uh, you know, basically essential, uh, essential layout, um, pretty much the equivalent to a frame layout. Um, and... Uh, that is an inline function. Uh, at some point, a couple of months ago, I think it was changed to be an inline function. Um, obviously, that's something you couldn't do with. Uh, that's something you couldn't do with views. But um, with, since it's a Kotlin function, you can literally just like go and make it inline, um, so that it'll be inlined at the call side, which you know obviously helps performance because you'll have a little less uh, nesting which is nice. Um, and the Compose team generally really tries to watch out for these kinds of things. And this is such a nice, small, but really important optimization. Um, but yeah, and, and then to talk about, to continue talking about Box, there is a version of the Box Composable, which is called Box with Constraints. Um, and that is um, not definitely not the same as Constraint Layout, but um, it also provides you with a concept of constraints and you can, uh, yeah, essentially it provides a, a set of outer constraints for your view, which can be uh, very composable, which can be really useful. Um, and yeah, so I, I haven't really found the use cases for a constraint layout yet. Um, the readability seems to be a little less, but sometimes you might have to have a very, very complex uh, UI and um, then constraint layout will be totally the right choice for that. But most of the time you can just use standard composables, which helps readability and, and maintainability and understandability of your code, which is super, super awesome. Yeah, I think, I think that's really, really important also, because I think with compose, well, not compose with constraint layout. Um, I think the, the visualization of kind of like adding constraints and kind of moving something um, visually, um, kind of like just with your mouse pretty much, um, was kind of like also a big drawing point um, to to use constraint layout. Because it, yeah. yeah, it was really, really awesome. Um, and I think now with constraint layout, you kind of have to write the constraints in code. Um, so yeah. you're pretty much, so I think, I think that's, that for me, when you were kind of saying like the API is not as great, I would say from a visual point of view, like you're not kind of like visualizing it and moving your mouse around and kind of like constraining things together, which was the more satisfying situation than now having to write your constraints in code um, and then pretty much like then using the preview, obviously to obviously see um, your things kind of getting pinned and all of those things across, but I mean, it's still kind of not the same experience 
Um, so maybe at some point, maybe they'll actually make a, I don't know, a visualized constraint um, layout where we can kind of do that whole pinning thing again. And it will pretty much write the, the constraint code for us. Um, I think that would probably make a lot of people pretty happy, um, oh, yeah. which is really cool. Um, but yeah, I think I think the last thing that I kind of want to just mention around um, Jetpack Compose is pretty much like, well, what was, um, I guess, you and your team's kind of like approach to kind of like starting Compose. So I remember um, on Twitter, you you kind of posted a while back, like um, that you guys had um, like Compose days where you kind of just like, where you kind of, the, the team kind of got together and um, you guys were building um, Compose, um, like, yeah, just like a hacker hack day, like, which is really, really cool. Um, and yeah, maybe you can kind of just share a little bit about how that went and how um, that kind of came together and um, yeah, your approach to kind of like introducing Compose into your team, because I think it's one of those difficult things that um, I think some companies still struggle with. Even I think some people are still writing like Java just because like um, introducing Kotlin already into like a team could be quite difficult if like, you know, people don't see, let's say, the value in it um, or something like that. But now with obviously Compose, you kind of want to introduce it into your team. Um, so like, I don't know, what is your experience with kind of introducing it to your team? Maybe your team is also just fantastic in terms of like, everybody's just welcoming to, to new things. Um, but I think there still needs to be an approach around it. Um, when it comes to, um, when it comes to, to jumping into compose, um, as a team, especially. Oh, totally. Uh, it's, it's not something that's, you know, completely, it's not something that's completely natural, um, I, and I think what we did was we we did pay a lot of attention um, to to how we can how we can work with Jeff Compose and how we can adopt it. Um, I want to give a shout out there to to my boss uh, to Johanny uh, Johanny Letimeki. Maybe follow him on Twitter. Um, so he was he was like, yeah, we should. I think Compose is the future. Um, we should at least explore it as a team. We should look at it. Um, so that was, you know, sometime, sometime last year, um, for fairly early on. And so what we did for first Snap mobile, my company is, um, we, we did a couple of hack days. Um, so we took, I think last Friday of, um, of each month for, for a bit. And, uh, we sat down and we, um, we took that time, to to learn compose to really just uh, look at resources um and and you know take take the very very first baby steps um and then we we also you know did some actual coding <laughs> which is always great um and then what we also started a a bit back was um was compose map programming sessions um, so I can't actually remember how long it's been. I think it's been like two or three months, um, that we've been running them and we're kind of like slowly, uh, coming to the end. Um, so what we did there was every Friday, um, Friday afternoon, we met for, I guess, like an hour or 
you, it, it always ended up being like one and a half hours or something, um, where we just, uh, you know, looked at some part of the, of the compose, uh, ecosystem and the compose APIs each week. And, um, we would switch every, whatever, like 20 minutes or, or so, um, programming somebody else would, uh, would take turns. Um, and so we looked at, you know, we looked at state, we looked at very basic, like, how do I even, how do I even write a composable, right? What is a composable? Um, we looked at navigation, um, and all of the things that we kind of encountered in our day-to-day work where we're like, how would that work in compose? Um, so that's what we did for, that's what we did for a snap. We also just have a team that's, I think, pretty, you know, motivated to look at new stuff, which is cool. Um, so we're, I think we're, we're lucky in that regard since we wanted to try compose. Um, and then for, for the client that we are, you know, that we're using compose with, um, they had a huge advantage, which is that they're, uh, that their engineers are, are cross-platform, you know, doing both iOS and Android. Um, and they had actually done their app in Swift UI the year before. So they were already used to a declarative approach. Um, and then kind of like once we came in um, and and helped them lead the effort uh, in bringing in Compose, everybody had a really easy time picking up Compose. What was really, really important for us both at Snap and in that project was that we had a person who who led those efforts. Um, one one person who's kind of responsible for it and who people can always, you know, kind of like go to and ask questions. Um, in our case, that was me because I really wanted to look at Compose and thought it was interesting. And um, I was able to take some time off project to... Uh, to explore Compose and uh, provide, you know, provide resources, um, collect cool things that uh, I saw somewhere on the internet, right? Like cool articles, tweets, libraries, whatever. Um, and then for actually bringing it into the app, um, that was great because I uh, I did the the basic setup work, um, so setting up things like theming setting up all dependencies, right? That was still with alpha, um, making sure to making sure to update it with every new release as soon as possible. Um, obviously we tied ourselves to uh, the latest uh, AGP Android Gradle plugin version and Android Studio version. So making sure um, that nothing goes wrong there. And if something goes wrong there, uh, I was the person responsible for, you know, going back to the, going, going back to the AGP team and filing a bug and being like, hey, this doesn't work. Um, and all of that really helped us, you know, to to make sure, you know, to concentrate onto onto one onto one point, to have one person who you know you can always turn to when you're like, why is my composable not showing? And you're like, oh yeah, because it's I'm using Filmex height or something. Um, and and another composable is actually taking up space. Um things like that. So if you're, if you're looking to adopt compose at your company, I would really, really recommend, um, a pick somebody who, uh, who would like to lead these efforts, who has fun in leading the efforts, right? Don't, don't go and pick somebody who doesn't want to, 
um, because <laughs> that, that doesn't work. Um, then also, um, create some examples. Um, the worst thing that you can do is, is go to people and be like, Hey, write compose code. And then people will be like, well, what am I supposed to do? Um, so create examples for within your app, right? Like convert a screen or maybe even a full feature to be composed so that people can go and they can look at, Hey, um, how is it supposed to look like, um, make sure that you put a lot of effort into that. Um, so people can, can learn about best practices from there. Um, add some comments there about why things are done in a certain way. Um, and yeah, I think these are the things that really, really helped us. The, the hack dice were really, really awesome. And I think all of that in combination was great. Um, working with that client, um, really showed me that you don't need to do all of these things, right? You don't need to have composed mobbing sessions. You don't need to have a hack day every month or something. Um, they were fine without that. Um, so that's, you know, that was kind of for us partly fun, but also worked really well for how we work. Um, maybe at your company, you know, it, it might be different. Um, so don't get too stuck on that. But I think making sure there's somebody you can always turn to um, who's kind of your designated compose expert who knows a couple of other people who has a good network, who can go back to Googlers, who knows where to file issues um, and who has like a rough idea of what things are going on in the whole compose ecosystem right now. Um, maybe when you ask them like, hey, here's this really weird thing that I'm encountering, maybe they can go, oh yeah, I, I saw there was like a bug and it's, uh, it's been fixed and it'll be out in the next release and here's the workaround. Um, and that'll help you be really, really productive. So I recommend doing that. Yeah, I think I think that's that's a really, really cool approach. I think um, sessions like mob programming um, and hack days do definitely help. But I mean, also, like you said, having kind of like a champion, um, a composed champion that kind of just make sure that everything kind of like runs smoothly. That's kind of updating, keeping up with the latest versions, especially, I guess, especially in your case where you guys were on the alpha and beta um, situation. Oh, yeah. But I mean, even just going forward after 1.0 um, with all the things that maybe um, are missing, um, I know that previously we've, we've actually chatted about like, you know, um, transitions, like um, shared yeah, shared yeah. transitions and stuff, shared elements, that's what it's called. Um, kind of like coming, coming in, it's not there now, but it's coming. Um, and hopefully at that point, like you kind of need someone that's kind of just following up on that and making sure if we yeah. do need it for a specific screen, then um, we kind of see, oh, there's maybe a workaround or it's going to be coming. Can we kind of like chat to our designers to kind of hold off on that specific um, animation um, until we kind of get that API um, up and running? And I mean, you even mentioned a few things like theming and all of that. Like we didn't even touch on all of those things, but like those things oh, are right. important. Yeah. And even like testing, I think like we we, we didn't jump into testing, um, we, which the, those are kind of important things. Um but I mean, like we have chatted about it a lot today. Um, and I think um, definitely we probably should do like a part two um, at some so point. We follow and, up on all the stuff we've missed. Yeah, so many things. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think it's. I think it'll be very useful for, for people. And I think um, 
I'm I'm hoping to to use it um at some point in production once it 1.0s um and hopefully um I can probably also give a lot more insights instead of me just kind of like hacking around like on some random side project um but I mean I think it's been like super great um kind of getting your experience um about compose and how it's actually um used um like actually using it in a project i think that experience is very valuable for to many people um and yeah i've even learned a few things today um from from things that you've mentioned um but yeah i think um at this point i think maybe um we can we can check where people where people can find you on the internet um and yeah maybe wrap it up oh for sure um yeah, you can you can best find me on Twitter. That's where I hang out while I'm waiting for my Gradle builds. So as long as I'm not switching to iOS, I'll be there. Um, you can find me on Twitter at at Yossi Wolf. Uh, so that's my name in one. Um, sometimes I post cute dog pictures. Um, hopefully, when I get to travel again, get to see my sister's dog again. Um, yeah, wrapping up. I think there's like the the one thing I I would really want to leave everybody with is give Jetpack Compose a shot. I know it sounds like I'm such a fanboy, which I am, um, but seriously, you'll have a lot of fun. You'll find a lot of joy in, in Android development again, uh, which is super, super nice. Um, definitely, you know, even if it's just literally like creating creating a single text, a single composable that emits a text, Try it, um, see how it feels, um, and explore things. And pretty sure you'll you'll like it. Um, yeah, I would definitely recommend doing that. And if you're looking to take the next step, do that too. Explore. Try putting it into your real app. Try you know migrating parts. Um, and of course, uh, you can find me on Twitter and always shoot me any questions there. I'm super super happy to to help. Um, there about you know experiences bringing compose into into real project and um weird compose bugs so yeah just uh, hit me up yeah thanks so much for for pretty much um bringing your experiences today and i think everybody is probably gonna really love this this episode um i know that i'm gonna enjoy so. editing it <laughs> um oh, yeah. and listening to thanks it again so um me. but yeah it's a pleasure and yeah hopefully hopefully we'll definitely do a part two at some point and maybe add a few things that we've missed today but also maybe add a few things that come new things that compose brings to us um in the next maybe 1.1 or 1.2 versions of compose oh yeah i think there's exciting stuff coming so yeah so definitely stay tuned and yeah thanks so much yossi um for joining us today yeah, thanks so much for having me. And uh, we'll see you at some point somewhere on the internet or at a conference in person. Who knows? Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's a conference. <laughs> but yeah, I hope so. have a great day, man. Cheers. See ya. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on Talking with Apple's podcast. Cheers.